I'm also going to pick this up and just have it a bit closer to my mouth. The reason that we have this is not so that we can be louder, because um, you're like right there. The reason we have this is because we're recording it for our community who's online. So to those online, hello. Um, uh, it's cool that we can have this space that is really quite unique in Sydney in a lot of ways and affirming there's lots of young people, Jesus-centered church that is diverse. Like, this is a really unique kind of space that we have here, and people uh, are jumping on online as well and listening to the sermons and some of the conversations that we're having, and they're finding it encouraging. So um, let me just say um, to those people who are listening online right now, um, we're really honored that you can be with us here, and I'm kind of making eye, to- eye contact with people in the room, um, but I'm not speaking to them, I'm speaking to you, because um, we know you need encouragement too, uh, and so we hope that you can find that here, and one day we would love to have you join us in person, um, and everyone here is nodding, yeah, yeah, okay, there we go. <laughs> um, As Steph said, it's really cool that we can be in this slightly larger space. Um, This means that we can have a few new faces coming in, joining our community. Um, I trust that you will warmly embrace them and be as excited to uh, welcome them in as they are to be here. Um, As Steph said, we're also jumping into Hebrews again tonight. Uh, We are coming towards the end of our series in Hebrews. I know we're only kind of halfway through numerically, passage-wise, but we only have a few more weeks Um, And then we're into Advent already, which is wild. Um, But I've really appreciated it. I've enjoyed it. Uh, I hope you have too. Um, But I'm also going to caveat this by saying this week has been really hard in Hebrews for me. And so this is where I'm kind of like, you know, emotionally going to take you on a bit of a roller coaster um, as I open this. Can I tell you what happened this week for me? Um, Hebrews 5 and 6 is split into two sections. The first section is like, um, there is so much to discover about faith. We want you to be growing. We want you to be discovering more. It's exciting. Um, And then the second half is, um, it really uses quite intense language to the point of saying, um, if somebody has tasted of Jesus, the goodness of faith, and then walked away from faith, the, the text says it's impossible for that person to be restored to repentance. It's a really intense statement. Now, I read that, and I, I know that, you know, the author is using hyperbole, kind of like in the sense, like, if you were to say, um, you know, in the context of Hebrews, if you were to say, it's impossible to climb Mount Everest, um, like, no, like, it's being done. Um, it's not impossible. It's just, it's really difficult Um, In the same way that um, if somebody has been a Christian and then for a whole range of reasons has felt like they had to leave the church, it's going to be really hard. In fact, you know, you might as well almost say it's impossible. It's really hard for them to rejoin faith. It's it's tough. Now, I I know in the context of the book of Hebrews, that's what he's saying. Um, That's what the author is saying. And I I agree. Like, it's, it's a true statement. There's nothing particularly controversial, I think, in that statement um, you might disagree with me on that, but uh, from my experiences watching my loved ones who, who've wrestled with faith and wrestled with church, and they've, uh, some people who have felt the need to, to leave faith for a while, they've struggled to come back in. That's the, that's the observation that I make. Now, I know that's the case, but here's the thing. This week, uh, actually the last couple of weeks, I have read that passage over and over and over again, getting ready to preach on it tonight, um, and as I was reading it, uh, my heart rate would just start going up and boom, 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 boom. Um, and I would feel my face flush, uh, and I would feel my stomach clench. Um, and, uh, at one point I was sitting there, like it was really peaceful. I'm sitting on the train reading this passage and I was almost in tears, um, and I kind of just had to stop myself. I'm like, oh, there's a, there's a word for this, um, you know, trauma. It's there, um, and I'm, I'm feeling it right now. Um, because uh, Hebrews 6, uniquely amongst passages in Scripture, in some ways has been weaponized against people who struggle with faith. Um, it, it has been weaponized um, 
as a way of saying, don't you dare backslide. Um, greetings. Um, it's, a, it's been weaponized as a way of saying, um, if you ask questions, then you are in so much danger of hell. And so it's been used to silence. Um, and then I've also seen it on the flip side, for those who have felt like they have had to walk away from church, I have seen it be used as a way of writing them off um, to say, ah, oh, they're a lost cause uh, and they've just disappeared into the abyss. Um, and so when I come to that passage, that's everything that I bring with me into it. Um, and, um, and I can rationally say, look, I agree with the passage. I agree with the, the emphasis that the author is saying. But it's been weaponized against me so powerfully that I can't, uh, I, I can't come at that passage. Um, and I, like, trust me, I want the Bible to be beautiful um, I work really hard to find beauty in the Bible. Um, but for that passage right now, um, at this time in my life, I just can't do it. <laughs> that's, that's just where I'm at. Um, and so I'm not going to preach on the second half of this passage um, tonight. Um, and I'm not going to ask your forgiveness. Um, I'm just going to thank you for your grace. Um, and, and my commitment to you... Um, is that sometime down the future uh, in New City Church, once we've been going for five, ten, however many years, we're bound to come back to Hebrews. Uh, like there's only so many books in the Bible you can do. And I hope and pray that by that stage, I will be at a point where I can read Hebrews 6 and say, yeah, like, this isn't, this isn't shooting daggers into my heart right now. Um, I, I can sit with this text. Um, so I, I don't know what that does for you. Um, perhaps, uh, perhaps you're like, oh, this is supposed to be one of our leaders is supposed to have it all together. Uh, well, let me just kind of break that illusion a little bit and say you're going to be sorely disappointed uh, sooner rather than later and far more often than either of us want. Um, uh, I'm not the leader who has it all together. Uh, and I, I just want to be really honest about that and say this is a hard passage. The flip side of that is I also recognize that we are in a community that has Scripture weaponized against us often. Uh, over and over and over again. Um, and I have all the grace in the world for you if you feel like you can't read the Bible at any given point or if there are passages that you just read and you're like, I, I can't do that. Um, you, are not, uh, you are not deficient in faith. You are not weak. You are not uh, against God at that point. You are human who has been hurt. Uh, and so I just want to say that, and as a community, this is how we navigate trauma. Um, and I'm just going to keep coming back to that term um, and say trauma takes time to heal, but it's not just time. Um, it also takes community and structure and place of safety. Um, and my prayer is that this will be that space. Does that make sense? Yeah? So all that to say... Please feel free at the end of the service at the pub to kind of ask me, hey, um, love to chat more about Hebrews 6. I'm happy to do that kind of one-on-one. -on -one. But in this context, I just felt like I couldn't do it. Um, so that's where I landed. Uh, so in that case, let's jump into the first part of the passage. Uh, we're in Hebrews chapter 5. It's not very long, so I'll just read it out for us. Hebrews chapter 5, if you want to grab your phones or your Bibles, we're going from verse 11. And we're going to sneak into chapter 6 a little bit. Uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. And as I read this, mm, picture Caro's face. You guys know Caro. Some of you wouldn't have met Caro yet. But Caro is uh, a, a teacher, and she just has a beautiful energy about her. Picture Caro's face as a teacher sitting out the front of an HSC exam and her English students are about to go into the exam and what she's saying to them is, come on guys, you should know this by now. Quick, let's go back over it. That, that's the kind of tone that we have. It's not forceful, it's not angry, it's a gentle teacher. That, that's the vibe. Have we got Caro's face in our mind? Um, okay. Hebrews chapter 5 from verse 11. We have much to say about this, 
but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. Um, can you hear the teacher urging her students on? Um, it's, a, it's a firm gentleness to say, come on, guys, like we, we, need, to, we need to grow up a little bit here. Um, this passage is a call to growth, not, uh, not numerically, but in depth. Um, and it's a really simple metaphor. I think it's quite, quite helpful. It's... Uh, for babies, it's appropriate for them to be drinking milk. That's what provides their sustenance. But at some point, a baby has to move on from milk to solid foods. And it's in the eating of solid foods that they gain a new range of sustenance, deeper sustenance, perhaps more mature sustenance for them at that time in their life. And in this room, um, there's a variety of people's journeys uh, which is really exciting. Uh, we have some people who have been following Jesus, have been part of the church for decades. We have some people in our church who've been part of the church in the past couple of years, and they're just kind of dipping their toe in the water. Some who have really never been in church at all, and they're just trying to work out, is this for me? And some are on milk, uh, some are on solid foods. And so he, my reflection on this passage is really quite simple. Here it is. It's in one sentence. Um, as a church... We as New City commit to growing deeper in our understanding of who God is, working towards maturity in faith and life. Yeah? Is, is that a fair enough summary of kind of the call of this passage? Uh, we, we commit to growing deeper in our understanding of who God is. I think that's what the metaphor of, of sustenance is supposed to be getting us to. Um, and so what I want to do is just quickly... Uh, reflect on the passage for two different groups of people, for those who've been in church a while uh, and those who perhaps are a little bit newer to church. Uh, and then I'm going to invite Steph up to have a conversation. Okay, well, what does that look like? What does that look like for her journey? What can that look like for our community? Yeah? That's where we're heading. So um, let's tackle you people who have been around church for a little while. Um, now I'm not going to say grow up. That's, that's not going to be my message here. Let, let me be really cautious as I go into this. Um, I wonder if you're anything like me, having grown up in the church, you get to a point, maybe your 20s, your 30s, and you start to see friends who you've grown up with who used to be really passionate about the church, who used to be passionate about Jesus, uh, they, they kind of just wander off. Um, and they, they kind of slowly wander, 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 and then they, they no longer would call themselves a Christian. I, like... It's not just me who have friends like that, yeah? Now, um, for some of them, I think they grew lazy. But that will be a very small minority, I tend to think. I, I, what I, my hunch is that for the majority of them, um, they, uh, they were being fed and nourished, but then it got to a point where they were asking more questions than the church could answer. Uh, or they were asking... Um, they were asking questions that nobody around them was asking. And so it just got frustrating. And the church kept feeding them milk, uh, and they were ready for solid food. This is my observation of quite a lot of my friends who felt like, okay, church couldn't be for them. Um, and uh, it's as though every time they rocked up to church, they would get a sermon, and they would walk away, and the application would be, you know, you've you got to read your Bible more uh, and, mm, and pray. Uh, yeah? That, that's kind of the the application of every sermon, um, which is great if you're on milk, but we've got to push, push past it. We've got to, we've got to grow up. Um, 
And let me offer one specific analysis of the situation that I've been fe- feeling for a little while here. Who here knows two ways to live? A few people? Yep, yeah, okay. A, a good stash of people kind of know the, the two ways to live uh, cult. <laughs> it, it's really got a bit of a following. Um, here's my quick summary of two ways to live. It's a gospel tract. Um, and what it does is it, uh, it distills... Uh, the whole narrative of the Bible into six little stick figures and it follows your typical kind of evangelical understanding at the moment of of what salvation looks like. So it's creation, fall, Jesus' death, resurrection, and then you get to choose which way do you live. Do you choose with Jesus as your king or as yourself as the king? And that's the the final box. Um, Now, I, uh, I have used this and I found it so beneficial for me to... to hang some hooks on. I I did find it really beneficial. It has been praised for its simplicity, but I think that's its own undoing. Um, Because in reality, the gospel is many things, but simple is not one of them. Um, The gospel is not simple. Um, God is many things, but simple is is not one of them. And I think what Two Ways to Live did, and this is kind of the the world that I grew up in, it was Two Ways to Live central. It was saturated in this idea of this is what the gospel is, this is how you have to present it. Um, It's indicative of a broader trend that I think many of our traditions have had of trying to uh, distill God into a series of doctrinal propositions. Yeah? Yeah? There's some, like, ah, oh, that's what it is, nods. Like, that's, that's what it feels like. Uh, it's trying to grasp the infinite by making God really finite and simple to the point where you can put some stick figures together and say, there you go, I've explained God to you. Um, I think it has done a huge amount of damage. Um, and I don't say that lightly. Um, I I honestly think it has done a huge amount of damage because what it has done is it sucked out of the gospel all wonder, um, all um, mystery. What we were looking at last week, uh, the ability to question uh, God as a being who is complex, who is complicated, uh, who is very approachable, but is still divine. Uh, And I I, I think we have a a generation of people who've gone through, especially Christian groups at universities, and they've been given this dumb way of thinking about the gospel, and they've believed it. And so now they hit 25, 30, 35, and where is there to go? Um, So with that in mind, um, let me read to you a portion of our church's affirmations of faith. Um, Because I think this is what we're trying to kind of kick back on a little bit. Um, This is from our our statement of beliefs, if you will, that we've we've called it our affirmations of faith. Uh, We affirm the Bible, being the 66 books of the Hebrew Scriptures and New Testament, as the source of direction for faith and life. We affirm this as God's self-revelation. At its heart... The Bible revolves around the person and work of Jesus as the ultimate, capital W, Word of God, by whom all Scripture is to be understood. Here's a sentence I want to kind of land on for you. Um, Interpreting the Bible for new eras and unique challenges is the task of theology, to which all people in the church are called, equipped by the Holy Spirit. That last part is really vital, and I'll be honest, I haven't been in many churches that have done it well, um, and, and I hope and pray that we here can capture some of that. Um, so let me read it again. Interpreting the Bible for new eras and unique challenges. Gosh, we live in a new era. Um, our world is facing some unique challenges that haven't been faced in this scale ever, perhaps. Uh, 
Interpreting the Bible for, for new areas and unique challenges is the task of theology, to which all people in the church are called, equipped by the Holy Spirit. For a long time, uh, theology was the domain of a very small number of people who would write our textbooks, write our Bible tracts, write our Bible studies, write our theology, and typically they did happen to be men, they did happen to be white, and the majority were cis-het, um, cisgender, heterosexual, um, and and that's okay. Like we, I, I learned a lot from those people, and they instilled me with a great love of Bible. Like there's nothing against those people doing theology, but if that's all the voices that you have, we miss out. The church misses out, not only because the people on the margins feel like they've been robbed of their voice, but those people who are in the center, they only see a very narrow picture of what God is because they have all these blind spots. I have all these blind spots. I need people to speak to me about who they see God as because we follow a complex God. Like, it's, it's fairly simple, I would have thought. And the, the process is listening to one another and saying, hey, you have all these stories in your history, your culture, your life. What do they teach us about the divine? I want to learn. Uh, I want to know how you approach God. Uh, the reality is, when push comes to shove, many of us who grew up in uh, white-dominated uh, evangelicalism in Australia. Uh, we have a great love of scripture, but beyond that, for a lot of things, we've just been taught really poorly. Um, and I, I say that as the beneficiary of so much of this. Um, and I, but I, I do think that we've been taught poorly. We, we've been fed foods that we thought were solids, only to get to this point in our lives to realize that these solids just aren't sustaining um, uh, the nutrients, they just don't, don't fulfill what our faith needs for a new and complex terrain. Uh, so, for those who've been around church for a while, um, in some ways, I feel like we've had to go back to milk. Um, we, we've had to go back to basics, back to some of those elementary teachings and start again. Um, and I, I, wonder if, um, I wonder if that's part of the normal ebbs and flows of church history, kind of new ideas come up and, uh, and new things arise and it just takes a while to get back to it. And like, I, I wonder if it's nobody's fault at that point it, uh, in terms of the ebbs and flows of church history. We just, we don't point the blame. We as a church just say, okay, that, that's the diagnosis. Let's get on with it. Um, that, that's what we, we have to do. So let me read to you um, what, what is said in Hebrews about what are elementary teachings. Because um, I read this list and I'm like, oh, that's a bit tough. Um, these are the elementary teachings that the author of Hebrews was like, hey guys, you've got this, you've got this, let's move on, hurry up. Like that's um, repentance from acts that lead to death. I don't even know what that means. Um, like... It's very broad. Uh, it's just this big brush-strokey kind of thing. I understand repentance. Like, I understand all the words. But specifically, what is that? And most commentators would think that that's probably the Jewish sacrificial system. Um, literally, acts that end in a death, um, and you need to actually turn away from that system. That, that's typically what a lot of commentators would say that that is. Um, instructions about cleansing rites. I know nothing about cleansing rites. So if you're going to ask me, like, the basics of cleansing rites, I'm like, I don't know, like, hand sanitizer? Like, beyond that, uh, I got nothing. Um, but for the, the people of the time, they, that was an elementary truth that they had to kind of know and then build on that. Um, the laying on of hands is the next one listed in, um, in chapter 6. Uh, perhaps it's a practice of prayer um, or the receiving of gifts, spiritual gifts. And so often in the early church, they would, they would anoint, they would lay on hands and send people out with certain tasks as missionaries and the like, uh, or in certain different ministry areas. Um, 
And the final one is the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. That is of God's eternal plan for humanity. The, the, uh, the ushering in of a new kingdom that lasts forever and ever, that is characterized by justice. Uh, and alongside that, eternal judgment of God as a just God. Now, we would say heaven and hell. That's what's typically been read into these passages. Or uh, throughout history, people have said, that is the eternal kingdom that God is ushering in to say, you know, all people are joining in in this process and that goes forever and ever and ever. Um, And even in that, there are multiple views. There are multiple views in this room around what that actually looks like. And I would say, gosh, if that's supposed to be an elementary teaching, I can't teach. Like, I'm no leader in this church. I don't know. Like, I don't have my head around how it all works. Um, so, so to, I just say all that and point that out to say there's a whole lot of grace for if you're sitting here and you're like, I feel like I don't have my faith all together. Like, I feel like I got questions and they're just burgeoning. And like, I, I don't know the answers to so many things. Give me milk. Um, and I just want to say, yeah, like, enjoy the milk um, because some of us just need it. Um, heck, when it comes to Hebrews chapter 6, I just need to go back to milk uh, and enjoy that for a while so that I can grow, uh, so that I can eventually get back to the solids. Um, I'm, not, I'm not planning on just staying in the, the baby sustenance. Uh, I, I want to, to grow. Um, and by God's grace, these days, we have 2,000 years of Christian history and then you know, hundreds more of Jewish history that we can draw upon for wisdom. Um, does that make sense? It's, you're kind of tracking. Like, the, the goal is growth. But we just have to be wise about how we do that and do that together, speaking into each other's lives. Okay. Um, For those of you who consider yourself uh, newer to faith, uh, let's just go with you guys for a a moment. Um, Perhaps you've stumbled across Jesus in the past couple of years, um, and perhaps you are in this space because you're like, no, I I really want to explore who Jesus is. I want to discover more about what this whole Christian movement is all about. Um, I I guess this passage says to you, plan for growth. Uh, Like, be prepared to be challenged. Uh, Be prepared to ask hard questions and don't settle for pat, easy answers Um, because uh, chewing meat can be tough, Um, especially if you're a baby and you've only got a certain number of teeth. Um, like, there, there's going to be moments where you're like, wow, these are some growing pains that are real. I need, I need to be fed. Um, I need to be led in this. And so we aim for maturity in our Christian walk uh, in exactly the same way that we aim for maturity in every area of life, I guess. Uh, that, that's where we track. Um, and what does maturity look like? In verse 14 of chapter 5, it says it really specifically. Um, we're told that maturity is the place of being able to be trained by constant use in what we've learned, wherever, whatever, constant use to be able to distinguish good from evil. That that's the mark of a mature person, being able to distinguish good from evil. And so maturity can't just be theoretical. Um, It can't just be head knowledge. Uh, It has to be deeply practical, I would have thought. Um, it has to shape the way that we move about the world, the way that we engage with people, the way that we engage with power and structures, the way that we engage with justice as people of wisdom. Um, so, uh, so we want New City Church, uh, we want New City Church to be a place that never grows stagnant in the way that we approach theology. Yeah? That, that kind of hits the right notes. Um, that never tires of going deeper. Now, um, let me just flag something that I felt as I was preparing this. I was like, wow, there is, there is just one more thing that I have to do in my week. Um, there's just a, a whole other thing that I need to tackle on, get to the end of the week and be like, so, have you grown up? Um, and I, uh, I, I was struck, that, struck by the fact that in Hebrews, we were reminded, I don't know if you remember back in our first weeks, that Hebrews is not about what we've been saved from, it's about what we've been saved to. That's, that's the motif that keeps coming up throughout it. And the, the idea is it's a posture shift so that we turn and 
face Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Um, and when we, when we tie that in with this passage, I think that what we see is that it's not that we have to grow, it's that we get to grow. Um, in much the same way that uh, yeah, if you were to put me in the same room as Kate Blanchett and you were like, guys, get to know each other, I wouldn't be like, oh, that sounds like a lot of work. Um, I'd be like, okay, here we go. Um, do I have some things to say to you? Um, like, it would just be so exciting to be like, wow, here's Kate Blanchett, and we are in the same room, and she is like such an incredibly smart, stra- strategic thinker. She holds herself with such, um, yeah, such dignity against so much force. Like, she just, I, I just want to sit there and be like, how do you do it? Like, you are phenomenal. Like, teach me your ways, O oh master. Um, I actually get to know you. Um, and then we, you know, we come to God and we're like, oh, uh, here's another Bible passage I have to slog through. Um, he, uh, here's another Bible study that I have to kind of, you know, put up a front and say, hey, this is what's happening this week. I'm really loving God. Um, there's a bit of irony in there, isn't it? Um, maybe it stems from boredom um, or repetitiveness or the fact that we grew up thinking that we could turn God into six stick figures. Uh, our image of God is so small if we think that we've reached the limits of what we can know about God. Um, um, and, and so I hope that, um, that week after week after week, and it won't all happen at once. In fact, sometimes it won't happen at all. I, but I hope that week after week after week, as we gather and as we open the Bible up here and in small groups and in, um, yeah, in whatever form it takes, I hope that our boxes that we've put God in are just shattered. Like that's, to me, that is growing in our understanding of who God is. Um, and you don't have to go to Bible college to, to hear that. In fact, um, Thomas doesn't rant much, but if you want to get Thomas, my husband, onto a rant, um, ask him if he thinks that all Christians should go to Bible college at some point in their life. Is that a, is that a thing that all Christians should do? Thomas, what do you reckon? <laughs> um, it, is, it is this passionate, like, no. Um, you shouldn't have to go and get formal education in order to um, in order to understand the depths of Christian heritage, the depths of the divine, the depths of Jesus, um, that's the role of the church. That's the role of the people next to you. Um, their job is to point out new things of what they've discovered about who Jesus. And so um, if you're here um, and you're at a stage in your journey where you think that you need milk, um, I hope and I pray that you will enter into this space and you will just feel so warmly embraced um, and that you can let all your guards down to say, hey, I, like I've been trying to chew on this hunk of steak for a long time and it's just not doing it for me. Um, I need something for my time. Um, and I hope that you can be surrounded by people ready to love you and show you new things about who Jesus is. Um, and don't aim to stay on the milk. Um, in chapter 6, where, uh, verse 1, we're told to move beyond or leave behind elementary t- teachings. It's an active task. But the second half of the verse is passive. Uh, it's, uh, we're called to be taken toward maturity. Um, and so I hope that in that very fact, you can rest and say, as you come here, as you allow yourself to ask questions, you can be carried either by us or by the Holy Spirit or by both, um, carried into new understandings of who, who God is. Um, in Hebrews, we're called to fix eyes on Jesus, and I feel like that's the task that we have at hand. Um, so that's, that's what I think Hebrews 5 and the first little bit of 6 is teaching us. Um, it's this honor that we actually get to grow and discover more of who Jesus is. Um, and I hope that's exciting for you. I hope that's not a burden to, to just carry um, I hope that you can actually feel like, wow, there's, there's things that I can learn that will shape the way that I exist. Um, I, I hope that's energi- energizing for you. Um, with that, I'm going to invite Steph up, um, not because she has reached maturity in every realm possible, although she's pretty damn close, um, but because she is somebody who um, is currently at Bible college. So that's nice. Um, 
but she has a lot to offer this community. She has been um, pastoring this community in many ways really beautifully. Um, and so I'm just going to open up a bit of a discussion for us. Uh, we'll both share a little bit, um, and hopefully that will spark thoughts for you at the pub or wherever. wherever. Yeah, does that make sense? That's where we're heading. Um, so, um, Steph, I was wondering if you could share um, and use this so that the recording happens, uh, share a little bit of your journey of growth, um, and I don't know a good time frame, I was just picturing like five years, uh, from five years ago where you were to now, um, in what areas have you grown and what has kind of helped enable that? Yeah? Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like five years is a good measure because uh, actually Facebook is really good at recording my life. I don't know if other people are like, oh, great, thanks, Facebook. Yeah, that's where I'm at in my life now. That was two years ago. That was three years ago. That was like, whoa, 10 years ago. Are you kidding? Um, but yeah, five years ago, I would have been at uh, an evangelical Anglican church um, with a very, I would say, like a very simplistic, strict understanding of what faith, Christian faith is. Um, it was when I was uh sensing that previous understandings of scripture were not particularly life-giving for me i think that's something that a lot of people can resonate in this room about um and i was thinking about like what has been core to that i think because um in the evangelical church we spend a lot of time time in scripture i think that's a really good thing um, but I think my journey and a lot of it has been in um, separating human definitions of what the Bible says to then looking afresh at what is the Bible saying without all of the baggage that came with that. Um, and so uh, my, my studies have been amazing in kind of like giving me these different perspectives. And I resonated a lot with what you said, Joel, about like, you know, you're kind of given one perspective, but then, uh, you know, I've engaged with James Cone, who's the founder of Black Liberation Theology, um, uh, womanist theologians, uh, feminist theologians, uh, people writing from the perspective of um, having disabilities. Uh, and I realized that me kind of coming out of my faith, particularly after seeing uh, as a queer person that scripture wasn't, that the, the previous interpretations of scripture weren't life-giving, uh, actually there's all these other people around the world who are thinking the same and feeling the same. Uh, and, and so I keyed on to a key thing is that like a lot of it has to do with the way that we uh, even just approach the text, um, the way that we interpret the text. Uh, and so a lot has been grappling around, you know, I used to think that um, what we're trying to do is figure out what did the intentional author mean? How was it received? How can I get back there? How can I find out, you know, exactly what was said? Um, and sort of remove myself from this process. Uh, how do I get objective? Um, but then I encountered all of these people doing theology and reading from their own experience, and that like actually they, that was pretty, pretty cool. I really resonated with what they were saying. Uh, so maybe it's not about being objective. Maybe it's got to be something different. Maybe it's about acknowledging that everyone will be doing and reading from this third-party perspective. Like, we'll never get back to that original intention. I'll never be able to put myself in the, in the author's shoes or the, or the audience's shoes. Um, but what we're all doing is, like, grappling for fruit. We're toiling with this thing, trying to find meaning, testing out, does this feel good? Is there fruit here? Is, like, am I feeling like this is life-giving for myself? Do I see it in others? And, like, and then as we do that together, as you say, we learn. We learn from each other and we test it. And, and, and I think that's something that was never um, given to me, that when I, when I voiced these things to, to ministers in the past saying, look, this, this doesn't feel right, this doesn't sound right, this doesn't, it doesn't feel like it applies to my life. I'm really, really not doing well when you say these things. 
Uh, and it was, it was taught that to resist that and to resist that like anything to put yourself in that process. Don't, that's, that's temptation, that's desire, that's human stuff. And then kind of realizing that actually all encounter with God is done from here. All encounter from God is done from here. Like we can't remove ourselves from there. Uh, and so I feel like that's been a really big shift is realizing how we read, how we encounter God, um, and then how do we do that together and search for that fruit and find that fruit and test it and is it good, is it life-giving, um, what are other people saying about my beliefs? Um, and I think there are a couple of really poignant moments. One was like when I was sitting in a room um, with some Indigenous Christian leaders um, and for, you would know, for uh, Indigenous people, the life of the rest of creation is so integral to their life. The connectedness and the interconnectedness is so central to their worldview and just how they live. For me, that's been pretty foreign. Um, and then just realizing that John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. For God so loved the world. For me, I had just thought people. For God so loved people. And I sat in this room and they were like, for God so loved the world. All of this beautiful interconnectedness of life. For God so loved the world. And I was just like mind blown that like I've been reducing this thing to people. But this is cosmic. And so then once you start to kind of like unpack these things for me my faith was just like you know like it just was so small and it became so big and you know that can be really uncomfortable and it can be really challenging and can, you can realize well if I'm wrong on that what else am I wrong on like you know how you know and it's you know I don't want to underestimate I'm talking about it in a very positive light because I've done the journey and I think I've, I've gone a long way but at that initial point I was like everything I've known potentially is false like that's a scary moment um and then another moment was I remember the first time that I read um Romans chapter one which for anyone who's gay um is a weaponized passage of scripture for us and I remember I had been reading different views and different interpretations of that passage for years um but I would still go to it and, like, for whatever reason, I was just, like, shame swept over me. And I just remember those physiological experiences of, of what it meant to read that, even though cognitively I thought differently. But I remember that first time that I read that passage and I didn't feel it. And I was like, I've moved past this point. Uh, and so I really hope that whatever it is for you, whatever thing it is for you... Um, yeah, I hope you can get to that point where, where scripture is not something which causes a really hard, weighty reaction in you and it's actually something that you can approach and say, wow, this is actually good. This is actually life-giving. Um, and yeah, I think I was telling you there was a period in my life for about two years where I was just like, I don't really, I don't really want to read the Bible. I'm not motivated to read it um, because... All of this kind of pre-programmed stuff was just there. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of stuff, you know, whatever it is. There's a whole, that's just one very small snippet of how those things happen. But I think that's been a bit of a snapshot of the journey that I've been on. Um, yeah. That's brilliant. Um, yeah, it just, it speaks volumes to, you know, where you are now, to be able to sit in this space and, and lead this community with, um, yeah, with the wisdom that you do. Um, I often think back to my Bible college days and somebody pointed out to me what it was. It was only a week ago. I've been trying to put my finger on it for so long and they're like, this is what it was like. Um, they said, uh, the college that I went to, they pride themselves on giving every pers- or as many perspectives as possible on a given text. And like they, they do that like genuinely um, and they would give different perspectives and then at the end of it they would say, but we all know the right one. 
<laughs> I'm like, oh, that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. Thank you, Calvin. Like, you are right again. How did you do that? Um, and, um, like, I, I look back on hindsight. I was like, how damaging that was. Um, because you essentially just said, here's, here's a range of views shut down. Um, and... Uh, yeah, like it, it just wasn't modelled well for me how to actually listen to people and and be critical at the same time and you know engage all that. Um, so that's uh, it's so amazing to hear you having gone through that. Can I ask, um, in those times when it was like, wow, I, I'm losing hold of what I knew, like that's scary. How did you push through or carry through? Like, what did, what did that look like? Can I ask? <laughs> Interesting, I might not know. Um, but I think, I think I had kind of just pushed enough spaces where I was like, I'm not getting any of the answers that I want here. I'm like, just, it's not connecting with me anymore. And when I enrolled in my studies, I was just like, look, I'm just going to be really open. Whatever comes up, I'm going to hold space for it. And I think it was just an attitude that I had of being willing to have that openness. Something that had never been central to my faith previously was just, I've just, I've just got to hold space for the uncomfortable, for the unknown, for the, you know, and it was just an internal shift that I was like, look, the, the previous way isn't working anymore. I'm, I'll just hold this. Um, and I think I'm still on that journey. I think now I'm at a point where I'm like, I'll always be on that journey. Thank you. Um, uh, For us who are kind of on journeys of all different paths, uh, what are some uh, resources or avenues that you have found really beneficial? We're not all going to go to Bible college. That's Thomas is going to make sure of that. Um, But you know, for for the local church, what can we do as a a gathering? Um, Yep. I'm just kind of still on the previous question. I think also having some people in my life who had gone on the journey before me and, and I was like, I'm, I'm kind of thinking this now. And they're like, oh, yeah, 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 it's okay. And I'm like, woo, all right, okay. Um, and I think, I don't remember, I don't know if people remember me like back in the classroom when I was talking about being out in the wilderness and it being really scary and like, how did I find myself out here? Um, I think it's really important to acknowledge that like Steph five years ago would look at Steph now and be like, who are you? Like, and be really threatened by me. Um, anyway, so I think it's important to have some people around you who uh, are wise and who you think, um, I guess in the way that they do their faith like, and, and practice it as a human being and you're like, actually, I think you're a wise person and you embody who I think, um, you know, God is, then uh, surround yourself with those people and, um, yeah, have conversations. Um, I've been talking a little bit about collating some of my readings from my studies that have been really formative for me. Um, and kind of putting them into a little bit of a resource thing to share with this community um, at some stage. So uh, TBC, wait for that. Um, But that's something that I think some people here might enjoy. Um, Yeah, I think our our Friday reflections are actually a really lovely time. So um, a few of us, including Elkie and Paige, get together on Friday mornings online and we do a very different form of reflection that I ever had in my life, which has been really beautiful. Um, it's a Catholic uh, prayer reflection book. Uh, I guess you could call it a Bible study, but I just want to push away from all of the, the language that's associated with a Bible study, I guess, and just have it be more of an open discussional space. Um, but we reflect on a piece of artwork Um, We have time of silence. We, like, get present in our bodies and actually kind of, like, try to connect with ourselves and what's going on around us and, like, notice God there. Um, And then we have a little passage of scripture and we go on whatever tangent comes up for people and that's just the space. Uh, And then we kind of talk about what's going on, what do people want prayer for, and then there might be tangents involved in that. Um, But it's... I think finding new ways of practicing um, my faith as well has been something that's been really fruitful and kind of looking up some new ways of um, reading scripture or reflecting on scripture um, and, 
Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff. It's not very specific. I found it very difficult, this question. Um, but if you want to explore that further, I'm sure we have a lot of like recommended resources here in this room about things that people have found helpful. Like I've kind of had separate conversations with people about the stuff that they're engaging in. Um, podcasts, The Liturgists, um, has been super helpful for me. I think things like The Bible for Normal People, um, Rob Bell. Um, yeah, I think... That's a bunch of stuff for now. Do you have resources? Uh, similar to you, I asked you the question and I was like, that's a really hard question because it depends what topic it is. Like, um, yeah, so I guess um, the beauty of a space like this is whatever question you ask, chances are somebody has had to wrestle with it for an extended period. And so if you ask, like, hey, I need resources on that, that might not be something that I have wrestled with, it with but it might be something Steph or Karen or uh, Steph or... Hannah or someone else has wrestled with and so we can probably compile resources and um, that's probably the best way to, to track it but I guess the first step is asking the question and the first step is that is creating a safe space where questions can be asked um, yeah. yeah thank you so much Steph yeah so appreciated yeah yeah um I think one of the things, because I, like, I feel like I've been jo- watching you journey and journeying a little bit with you for years now Um, And one of the things that I've constantly been um, encouraged with by Steph's journey and so many people in this room's journey is the way that people have oriented towards Jesus. Um, And I think for me, that has been the diffusing factor when I have felt like, oh, I can't ask that question because that will take me too far out of the wilderness, out to the wilderness. Um, My question is, am am I attempting to walk towards Jesus? Am I attempting to discover more of who Jesus is? Um, And inevitably when I ask that and it reorients me, I discover, oh, there is something more beautiful about God that I hadn't found before. Um, there is something more divine about Scripture that I hadn't seen. Uh, and so it's those, those new eyes. So um, I guess to you and to others in this room, thank you for fixing your eyes on Jesus, as the author of Hebrews says. And that is how we orient as a church, to just keep doing that. Um, that's a really nice transition into communion. Um, well played. Yeah, that's a nice transition to say, uh, well, we as a community, we fix our eyes on Jesus. Um, communion is, um, I guess some of its etymology, it is community with God and it's community with one another. Um, it is a physical embodied act of saying, here I am. Um, I am in this presence at this point in 2020 uh, and God is here in Waterloo with me. Um, it is a physical act of saying, I don't just fix my eyes on Jesus, but I enable Jesus to indwell me. Um, and we've had so many debates across church history about does the water, does the wine actually turn into the blood of Jesus? Does the bread actually turn into the body of Jesus? Um, and the more I go on in life, the more I realize that that is a, that's an irrelevant question because the key thing is that Jesus is present. Uh, Jesus is present in the, the juice and the bread. Um, Jesus is present in this room with us right now, and we are present in this room right now. And I think part of the beauty of communion that I'm discovering is that I can just sit and not ask, am I doing the right thing? Am I being the right person? I can just stop and say, no, I, I am here, um, and Jesus is here, and Jesus wants to be with me. Uh, that's a remarkable, mind-boggling reality. Um, and that's, that's what this meal is about. 